Welcome to the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. This is the third OME 2024 preview. And in the first two episodes, we heard our Thursday and Friday featured speakers. But on this episode, we are going to hear from our deep dive speakers. The deep dive sessions are a series of two double sessions happening over Thursday and Friday. That is, with these four sessions, you will do a double session on the Thursday and then another double session on the Friday so that you will have a chance to get more than just a surface knowledge of the topic at hand. So that being said, let's hear from our first deep dive speaker, Elham Kazemi. Okay, I'm speaking with Alham Kazemi. Elham, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Elham, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you're connected to mathematics? Sure. I'm a professor of mathematics education at the University of Washington in Seattle, and I have been here since 1999 studying and working with teachers to improve mathematics instruction. Okay. Now you are one of our deep dive speakers at OME 2024. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your two-day session so that we can get a sense of what's going to go on. Sure. So the title of the session is Going Deeper with Structure, Mathematical Modeling, and Argumentation in the K-6 Grades. And I'm thinking about working across the two days with teachers, thinking about how to better support children's engagement in these mathematical practices of analyzing structure, mathematical modeling, and argumentation. We're going to focus on a couple of rich mathematical routines that teachers can use across those grades and think about how students will approach the tasks and what kind of thinking we want to try to support and how we can do that based on the instructional decisions we make. One of my passions is understanding children's mathematical thinking and orchestrating discussions. So I hope to help folks identify the kinds of goals that they want to pursue within these mathematical routines that they'll work with, and then how to lead good mathematical discussions based on those goals with students. So can you tell me a little bit about what you mean by argumentation? Yes, I'm thinking about how students generate claims and the ways that they use mathematical representations and explanations to verify or justify those claims. So in the in the K to 6 realm, what would be a typical claim that you might see in the lower grades compared to in the higher grades? Well, one of the routines I think we'll work with is geometric growth patterns. So I'm thinking about in the younger grades, when students are trying to think about what would the 10th term look like in the geometric pattern or the nth term, that they're likely to analyze the structure of the pattern and make claims related to that sort of the way that they've decomposed the pattern that may be a little bit more arithmetic based. And then the students in the upper grades are more likely to kind of be able to generalize into the nth term, but they are still be rooted in using the representation, the way that they decompose the geometric pattern. They might be more able to work with symbolic representations or the, a closed form, more kind of an explicit understanding of how the pattern grows. Whereas the younger students may need to rely on building several of the terms in order to be able to kind of see how it works iteratively. So we'll explain that together. So over the two days, give me a, sample, a sense of how you're going to take that a little bit deeper for, for our teachers. 
Well, I'm still trying to pick the routines that we might work with, but I'm playing around with growing patterns being one of them, geometric patterns. I know that another thing we use often in uh, the elementary grades is making comparisons. There's a routine called Same Different, where you compare and connect, again, visual images. And I'm playing around with maybe using Contemplate and Calculate, which is more about analyzing structure in mathematical expressions that are equated to determine if something is true or false and why. So I have a bit of time to, to think about which routines I want to use, but I think what we'll do is probably learn the routine, understand the basic structure of it, but then differentiate based on what we anticipate students will do with a particular task, how to differentiate what you want to do if you want kids to generate a claim themselves, or if you want them to test a claim, or if you want them to revise their explanation. So students may, for example, be able to come up with a beginning explanation, but a way to go deeper is how do you orchestrate the discussion to help students revise their explanations or notice the strengths and weaknesses of it instead of just like do their first attempt at it, but what does it mean to make it even stronger? Now, I should say we are recording this in November, so I may have asked you to think too deeply about what's going to happen in May, but so my apologies there. It's all uh, right. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> but I, and I, I wonder if you think back to when you were a student, how would you, how would you characterize your ability to make claims or to be argumentative? Well, I think what's interesting is that a lot of us remember our own mathematics instruction in I don't know, black and white terms sometimes. I'm not sure that I had a lot of opportunities to generate claims myself as a student. It was more being able to copy, I guess, or mimic what, what um, solutions teachers provided for me that I needed to apply. But I think that's one of the things that's really changed about what we're trying to do in mathematics, that it's not just about the, the teacher providing the explanations for the students, but the students generating it themselves and figuring out a way to do that so that we're not doing the intellectual work as teachers, but that the students are. So that is one of my main goals in how we orchestrate um, the classroom, um, both in the way we choose the tasks and in the way that we facilitate discussions is who's doing the intellectual work. And I don't think that, I think a lot of my my own experience as a student was watching the teacher model things for me that I then practiced myself. I think that's that probably the case for many of us. So I'm curious, when, when would that have shifted for you? Honestly, I think it was when I started studying children's thinking in graduate school with Megan Frankie that I realized how much potential there was in what children notice. And that as I just started learning more about mathematics education, the way that a teacher makes choices about inviting students into a problem-solving space that they, that they have access to because they have some of the prerequisite skills of making sense of the problem situation, but that they can not just like, I don't know, explore things open-endedly with no direction, but that the, the prompts that teachers provide can guide students to think deeply about mathematical features instead of showing them how to do things. Um, and that diversity in the classroom based on what students are noticing and doing actually provide the fodder for developing conjectures or trying to explore ways of 
trying to prove those conjectures to be true or false. So I think that's what I've learned a lot by studying how teachers experiment with those ideas alongside their students. Okay, so we look forward to hearing from you on both Thursday and Friday at OME 2024 in May. Elham, thanks for speaking to us today. You're welcome. And we'll see you in May. Thanks, I'm looking forward to it. That was Elham Kazami. She'll be doing her deep dive session, a deep dive with structure, mathematical modeling, and augmentation in K-6 grades on Thursday and Friday morning. Next up, we'll hear from Alex Overwick, who will also be speaking on Thursday and Friday morning. Okay, so I'm talking with Alex Overwick. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing great, David. Uh, pleasure to be here. All right. So, uh, Alex, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you're connected to math. Sure. So this is my this is my 34th year teaching uh, in the Ottawa Carleton District School Board. Been in the math classroom the entire time coached basketball through those 34 years as well. Pretty passionate about that as well. You know, I, I, I was particularly fond of my math class in high school. I studied math at Carleton and, and I've been teaching math for 34 years. So in terms of being connected to it, it's really been my, it's really been my life story. Yeah. So that's, you know, it always, it didn't, I wouldn't say it always came easily to me. I found university tough, but uh, high school math came relatively easy to me. So I decided to pursue that. And um, it's been it's been a great uh, journey. All right. And uh, you are one of our uh, speakers at OME 2024 this year in Kingston. You're doing a deep dive session on Thursday and Friday. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So so you're right. It is a deep dive. I think it's about five hours combined. I'm not actually sure the exact time, but I know it's a fair amount of time to get to spend with people. I'm super excited about it. Uh, going to do a deep dive into building thinking classrooms and spiraling curriculum or activity-based teaching. So there'll be lots of discussions about the pros and cons of both of those things, both uh, thinking classroom and spiraling. And we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what, what some of the benefits are and what some of the drawbacks are for both of them. We're also going to be doing some math during the session. And we're going to discuss that experience. So I'm hoping to take participants through a couple of activities you know, and then um, discuss that, you know, that experience with them. And then we're going to talk about task design and implementing tasks, like what, look at the, some of the characteristics of what makes a good tasks, what some of the teachers, teacher moves are and how those influence or impact learning throughout the task. We're going to talk about tasks that go with the grain and tasks that go across the grain. Uh, we're going to look at some discussions about uh, like some philosophical talk about what we actually value in our classrooms and like how these two things can maybe help us get those, um, allow us to see those things that we value. Yeah. And, and so much more, you know, going to do some, some work on assessment as well and kind of what's worked for me and uh, lots of discussions about what's working in other people's classes. So, you know, I'm hoping to, um, I'm hoping to draw people that are beginners and people that are looking to learn a little bit about it and also some, some experts that can add to the discussion. So yeah, it should be a pretty intimate intimate amount of time to spend with people. So I'm really looking forward to getting to know the people that come and um, uh, should be should be a great, uh, a great experience. So I feel like Alex, you're like one of the OG teachers for building thinking classrooms. Yeah, so so you know, my my journey for that, uh, you know, I started spiraling before I did building thinking classrooms. So I think we started like trying activity based teaching, and we ended up calling it spiraling, like started in around 2010. So 14 years of playing around with spiraling with all the courses that I've done. And, 
you know, really been fortunate to be able to go and spread that word across um, across Ontario and across North America, really, to talk to people about it. And, you know, and, and I think lots of people have made it their own and implemented it in a way that they, um, they see fit for them. And then, um, you know, I was lucky enough to hear Peter talk in 2014. It was the first time he publicly spoke about building thinking classrooms. And I was like, right away, I was like, this marries so nicely with spiraling. So I, imme- I immediately, within a week, cleaned out all the crap around my walls and got some got some whiteboards and leaned them up against the uh, against the walls and started started doing it in the last month and a half of that year. And then that summer, like refurbished my room and really have never looked looked back. So, you know, it's my tenth year of doing that as well. So, you know, lots of experience to fall back on and lots of things. You know, lots of things that we tried that didn't work and lots of things that we've tried that have worked and that we've uh, persisted with. So yeah, it's been a, it's been quite a journey and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty uh, happy to be able to come and speak uh, in depth with it, um, with the, with the participants. So having, having uh, been in the trenches doing that sort of work for so long, I'm curious uh, how your various administrations have taken to what you've been doing in your classes. Yeah. So I was pretty lucky. I my the principal that was at my school when I first started spiraling, was very supportive. And then when we started the building thinking classrooms, uh, we had, then I had a second principal who was again, very supportive. So been pretty lucky about that. And really any, any administration that's come in after that, <laughs> it's been, it's been so established and um, our reputation around the board uh, at our school for, in terms of being pioneers in it, they really haven't had a whole lot of issues with it. I mean, you always, you always get a little pushback from parents but, you know, our administration has been super supportive in what we're trying to do. And, you know, usually when you come in and, and you have the parents come in for meet the teacher night and you explain to them, you know, what you're promoting in your classroom, it's pretty hard to argue with. So I know you've talked talk to teachers many times over the years, and I'm curious what are some of the biggest uh, hurdles that teachers uh, speak out to you about and how you help them deal with those hurdles? Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the big things that people need to let go of a little bit, which is hard, I think for teachers is you know, letting, letting your class go a little bit. I think a lot of people still want the kids to be able to follow all these algorithms and in a manner, which is, um, straightforward and like do this step, do this step, do this step. And like, I think if you're going to go into building thinking classroom and into spiraling, you have to be willing to let that go a little bit. So maybe you're giving up a little bit of this algorithmic thinking for uh, problem solving and justification of why you're doing stuff. So I think that a lot of teachers struggle with that. Like, well, you know, my students aren't as good now at doing these, you know, these standard types of questions that we always gave students. So like, being willing to give a little bit of that up to create better problem solvers and better communicators and better reasoners. I think that's a difficult thing. And I think that's something that we have to have to um, come to grips with and be willing to, to make that be something that we value in our classroom versus, you know, being good at test writing as an example. Okay. So we look forward to seeing and hearing you in Kingston this uh, upcoming May uh, for OME 2024. Uh, And for those of you who want to take that deep dive session, Alex is going to be there for you. Yeah. I'm super stoked about it. Really excited. That was Alex Overwick talking about his deep dive session, Spiraling Curriculum and Building Thinking Classrooms for Secondary Teachers on Thursday and Friday morning. 
Next up, the first of our afternoon deep dive sessions comes from Lisa Lunny Borden. Okay, so I'm talking with Lisa Lunny Borden. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Lisa, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you are connected to math. Uh, sure. So I am, uh, I'm a professor of mathematics education at St. Francis Xavier University in Anaganish, Nova Scotia. And I help currently hold the John Jerome Paul Chair for Equity in Math Education. And that has been pretty much my career for most of my academic career anyway. I started my, my career as a high school math teacher, grade 7 to 12, in Wagoma First Nation in Cape Breton. And uh, that's where I started to really think differently about how to teach mathematics and how to teach mathematics in a way that honors and values the culture, knowledge, and ways of knowing of Mi'kmaq communities, which has led me to explore equity in math education on a much broader scale. And that's what I do now. So yeah, it's been about 30 years, I guess, of being a mathematics educator in various capacities. Okay. And you are one of our speakers at OME 2024 this year in Kingston. I am. Uh, and you are, you're doing a, a deep dive session with us, which is on Thursday and Friday. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what you'll be talking about. Yeah. So normally I come and I, I do a little session, like a talk, and, and we don't have much time to, to play with ideas. So the deep dive actually is going to give us time to explore different topics. So I'll be looking at the ease of equity, which is, uh, you know, expectations, elder knowledge, ethics, and epistemology. Those are my four E's that I'm playing with lately um, and conceptualizing how to decolonize mathematics. And so we'll be taking time to actually do some hands-on activities that kind of exemplify what each sort of E or idea looks like. So it should be fun. Lots of hands-on activities, hopefully. Can you give us a, a very brief idea of what each E represents to you? Yeah. So when I think about the expectations, like so much of changing what happens in schools for, for kids who have not historically been served by our system is really about changing teacher expectations, right? We really need to believe that all kids can learn. And our job as educators is to like enact that belief daily and let kids know that we truly believe they're brilliant. And our job as educators is to find their brilliance. So when we talk about expectations, we're going to talk about how can we change our belief systems to really value and honor the knowledge that kids bring into the classroom with them. And that leads into the elder knowledge, which is what is the knowledge that's already there in the community that is connected to mathematics? You know, for years, I've been involved with a program here called Show Me Your Math, which invites kids to find the mathematical thinking that's always been part of their communities. And that's been inspired by elders who have shared stories of the ways in which they use mathematical thinking in various practices. So recognizing that there's all kinds of mathematics out there that didn't get written in our textbooks because it wasn't the dominant European mathematics. And so that's where the elder knowledge comes in and really how can we embed that in our classrooms. Uh, the ethics piece for me is really about kind of how do we use mathematics in a way that that either helps or harms the world, right? So mathematics has been used as a tool of colonization. It can be used as a tool for decolonization. And so how do we use math for social justice projects? How do we use math to, to solve problems that are relevant to our society, to our communities? And so we'll talk a little bit about different examples. I have an outreach program that I do called Connecting Math to Our Lives and Communities. And 
we do a lot of that kind of ethics of mathematics. Like how can we use math in a real way to solve real problems in our world? And then the big piece for me is also the epistemology, which is bringing in the ways of knowing, being, and doing of communities. So a big piece for me has been verbing math because indigenous languages are verb based. And so that's part of the epistemology. That's part of the ways of knowing, being, and doing. And so how do people actually think mathematically and how do we draw upon the knowledge systems of different communities to teach mathematics in a way that aligns with kids' ways of knowing, being, and doing. And for me, that the verbing math has been a big piece of that. So we'll look at like activities where verbing is actually involved and how can we design tasks around that philosophy of verbing. So those are my four E's <laughs> in a snapshot. So it sounds like you definitely will need the two days to get through all of that. Uh, yeah. So typically I have done this workshop uh, for people in many days. I mean, I've done the kind of overview as a one hour talk, but it is great that we're going to have more time to actually get in and, and do some hands-on activities so people can walk away with not just a sense of what to do, but even what it looks like. And I think that's a big piece for educators is it's nice to have these ideas about what we could do, but it's great to be able to have this deep dive experience to get in and see what it looks like and do some actual activities yourself so you have a sense of what you can take back into your own classroom. Okay, so uh, we look forward to seeing and hearing you at OME in Kingston this May. Uh, Lisa, thanks for talking to us. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me, and I can't wait to see people in Kingston. That was Lisa Lenny Borden talking about her deep dive session enacting equity in mathematics classrooms for a general audience. Our last deep dive session speaker on Thursday and Friday afternoon is Fawn Nguyen. Okay, so I'm speaking with Fawn Nguyen. Fawn, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, it's nice and sunny and warm, and I forget that it's, uh, you know, uh, late November. Yeah, we are recording this in November. It's going to probably be going out in February, and you are speaking in May at OME 2024. Fawn, what are you going to be speaking about? You were one of our deep dive sessions. Right. I am excited to talk about um, two strands, actually, one on visual math and um, the other one on ratios and proportional reasoning. So I'm probably known for uh, about the visual pattern, so definitely that, and then also drawing sketches to solve word problems. I, I, I'm known around here in my local area as the rectangle queen, and that's because I draw a lot of rectangles to draw to solve problems. So I pass kind of share that with my students. So a lot of word problems, yeah, uh, we just simply sketch them, right? And the other deep dive is ratios and proportional reasoning. I think it, this is the most important uh, mathematical concept in the middle grades, um, but it's also the most common concept in everyday living. We don't have to search, you know, for real life applications because far for real life applications because proportional reasoning is just everywhere. And I'm hoping teachers will, will be able to after the session, after the deep dive, will be able to help students um, recognize everyday situations that involve uh, ratio, rate, and proportion. Identify, you know, proportional versus non-proportional relations in. Yeah, just all good things about proportional reasoning and, and beyond the middle years, like a probability, trigonometry, algebra, and geometry um, that, that would require multiplicative reasoning. So I'm now I'm asking for a little clarification here. So you're 
doing two deep dive sessions? No, I'm just doing one, but I'm hoping there's a blend because um, for the proportional reason, there's something that I do that I don't see a lot of people do. It's it's uh, same thing with the the sketches is using spreadsheets, right? We teach kids about ratio tables often, and I'm not sure why we don't just kind of kick it up a notch and use spreadsheets because spreadsheets is really uh, kind of I think of it as you know ratio tables on. Um, but a lot faster. And uh, spreadsheets such a useful tool for everything, you know, for lots of other applications. So I'm, I'm hoping, yeah, kind of that blend of, um, but no, it's uh, it's more racial and proportional reasoning. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit of how, how are you going to take our teachers deep in, in, in these sessions then? I think to start with, um, really back to you know the basics first the foundations what how do we define a ratio when i ask teachers to you know just for a definition what does a ratio mean to them what happens is interesting is the, the keyword you know that's um stress in nctm documents and the the real keyword is multiplicative right reasoning and it's missing and so um i think that you know to be on the same page. I think we have to define things, agree on what it means. And so, and, and kind of ground our understand back to that and make it clear for students because, because it takes development. I mean, I think it's natural that we think additively, right? Kids, and even my eighth graders, um, when we do get into geometry, they still have the tendencies to look at it as an, an additive. They look at two things and they see the difference rather than um, of scale factors. So just um, kind of ground the, the attendees, teachers back to that thinking and, and get into the kids' thinking and really get out at these various problems. We'll look at students' work and see what the common misunderstandings are or just to look at students' work and see what is it that they're they're thinking, how are they seeing this problem? How could they solve this, right? It's really part of the math practice of anticipating how students would answer a question. So yeah, just, just look at various problems. And just I think um, it also helps when we deep dive is to see how we understand it as, as teachers, as learners ourselves, and uh, how we can broaden our scope, our strategies, right, so that we can help other students. So I like the idea of uh, looking at student work, uh, especially work that isn't perfect, because I think amongst all the other things that we have to do as as teachers, one of the one of the best skills that we can gain is the ability to to decipher what students are thinking after they've thought it, right? Exactly. Right. Right. And and right. And and to be be ready for those. I mean, we can't, of course, anticipate everything, but it's nice to know to recognize that and uh, and 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 draw out those conversations among students. Right. It's not the, that work shouldn't just be for our eyes only. I mean, that's the beauty of you know this collaborative work sharing that students do is that they they do that also is that we present and they can decipher and critique it, it's uh, you know i know i'll be in canada but you know we have the eight math practices and uh, same thing those processes be able to to critique other people's reasoning is, is so critical and so like when you are when you're looking at student work 
what are some things that, some skills that you've developed to help see the thinking? I kind of try to step back, right? And um, it, I, I tell the kids, and when I see a, a, a number that was not given in the problem, and I feel lost, I'll tell them I, I feel lost. And so if you're not around, I try to think, what were you thinking, right? And, and then that's a hard space to be in. But what I've also do is try to think, are you answering the student, the, the work? Are you trying to answer a different question that you're not necessarily being wrong, that your answer is not necessarily wrong? I mean, it is incorrect what I was asking, but you know, maybe you're trying to answer something else. And that's how I literally ask the kids. Is, is could this be an answer to something else that you were thinking about? You know, it, it is a correct answer, right, to a question I didn't ask, for example. So that kind of um, find find a common space somewhere, because sometimes we think like that that answer came out of nowhere, and that's I, I think that's out of ignorance. We're not sure where because you know we, we don't have the student there, and, and the work is might not be clear to us. But uh, yeah, at the same time, I don't think it's something just comes out of nowhere. It came from the, uh, the kid's understanding of the problem. And um, so just, just try to be, uh, right? just try to be in the space of the kid's head. And it's, it's not easy, but, um, and there's nothing, you know, I mean, the primary, go to the primary source. What were you thinking? And I, and I, I know I do that myself where, where I've, I've, talk to students right. and said, oh, actually, I think you've actually answered a different question. And I think that's a, it's a really good strategy to help right. students know that they do have some right. mathematical thought, that they, they aren't coming into the class empty, uh, and that we are, part of our job as teachers is to try to steer that thought into, you know, whatever avenue that we're trying to get them to. Right. And, and you know, just uh, all of this about feeling safe, right? We talk about feeling safe to make mistakes because it unfortunately only takes one time when a kid feels shot down that they'll, you know, it's like, oh, I'll never participate again. I'll never speak up. I'll never. And uh, so definitely <laughs> trying to navigate it so that they, you know, we mean what we say, you know, uh, your mistakes are okay. And you know, it's, it's okay to do that. And we all learn from it. You know, uh, it's true when I say, you know, I, I love this mistake and I mean it because, wow, it's like, oh, oh, I didn't see it that way. And it could be, you know, all of a sudden I realized, oh, my question was not very clear. And it was, um, there could be a different interpretation of it or it's vague. And, and that's, that's really good. I think that's, that's, a, that's good to point out. Okay, so we look forward to hearing and seeing you at OME 2024 in May. Uh, you're going to be speaking on Thursday and Friday, so we're lucky to have you. Uh, thanks for giving us a little preview of what we're going to see and hear. No, I, I love that, yeah, because uh, if anything, it allows us time, right? A lot of workshops, I feel like really badly when I have to move on because we only have, you know, an hour or two hours. So, so yeah, this is more um, what we want to give kids. We want, because it takes time to think and process. Awesome. So we look forward to seeing you. Thanks for talking to us today. Thank you so much. That was Fawn Nguyen doing a deep dive on ratios and proportional reasoning for junior and intermediate teachers. Full registration is now open for the conference, and these deep dive sessions have limited number of spots, so make sure you get yours soon. 
The theme for the conference is embracing change, moving forward, and continuing to grow. And registration can be done on our MCIS registration site. And the main conference website for more information can be found at oame2024.ca. Both of those links can be found in the podcast description. Next week, we will have one more bonus episode where we hear from our OME 2024 featured and deep dive speakers, as well as all of our regular OME talk speakers from this season, as we ask them how they define what mathematical fluency is. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, stay safe. <laughs>